are back. You're listening to You Would Think, the Philadelphia Flyers podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Collington, and joining me today is the one and only Mr. Kevin Durso. How are you, buddy? Doing well. How are you? Good. It feels like it's been a long two weeks. Uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like the last two weeks, it feels like it's been forever since our last show. Uh, We had some excellent conference final hockey that we're going to be talking about here in just a minute, but uh, yeah, man, it's good to be back. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, we definitely, like, when we get to talk about the rest of the league and stuff like that, yeah, that's really where it is. There's not been a whole lot going on in Flyerland the last couple of weeks. I mean, I've I've done a couple of little things here and there. I've updated notes on things, and I've done, like, you know, I did a spot on the radio last week and just kind of filling in where everything is, but there's not a lot of concrete stuff going on. I think the developments of what may happen around the league are more are more, Im- not almost important, but more intriguing right now than the actual yeah. Flyers coaching search. For sure. And and you mentioned it right there at the end there. But that's that's our first topic is uh, the fact that we've gotten some, again, like you said, nothing super concrete, nothing. We don't have any finalist names really. You know, we got some names leaking out there, but, you know, the team hasn't really confirmed a whole lot. Right. Um, but it seems like. Uh, we're getting the blank check coach one way or the other because uh, a lot of these finalist names are not going to be low-paid guys. Right. So so I don't know if you want to start with where, like, everything is actively or kind of lead to it with, like, the names we heard and then the names we continue to hear in, like, the second round. Because there well, was a lot, because there was a lot of names that came up during the course of the week that we, we that, that were that the report was they were interviewed in round one that right. now are not coming up as frequently and things like that. So, like, right. it might be best to talk about them early well, and then get their names out of the conversation so we move uh, on with what's well. I think like the direction. I think we have to start with where the whole league is starting. Well, yeah, okay. I mean, that's fair. I, Barry Trotz is still Barry Trotz, and the whole right. league's interested. That's and the bottom line. I don't know how much Barry Trotz is wheeling and dealing here, but he holds all the cards, and he knows it. Right. Uh, Barry Trotz is kind of doing his little grand tour, his blah, 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 and then he's going to sit back and consult his files and make a decision and probably go home. But in the meantime, the rest of the league kind of waits with bated breath, and uh, we saw Bruce Cassidy out in Boston, and people speculate that, was- that the availability of Trotz had something to do with that. And I'm sure it does a little, but that was a big sure. surprise. That was a huge surprise. And a honestly, massive surprise. And honestly, um, you know, I, I want to add in what Florida is kind of not doing at the moment to an extent. I mean, the last thing I heard, Florida, Florida let go of two assistant coaches today. Yeah, and, but I, I heard some talk that that means Brunette's going to come back and get his own guys. Get his own coaches. And that's, yes. and that's totally fair if that's the case. And I believe that came out of Jeff Merrick. It's just the fact that there's still questions there. The fact that nobody can really say for certain what his status is. Like, it's it's like what Boston did with Bruce Cassidy. He's safe, he's safe, oh, there's nothing here. And then the longer it goes, all of a sudden, well, you know, complete 180. No, he's gone. Well, we need and- to dive into that. I don't know if you've listened to uh, the latest Steve Dangle podcast. I assume you probably haven't. But they talked about it a little bit. Um Cassidy was fired in his home. 
That part I knew. Yes. Okay. I didn't, he, I didn't listen to that podcast specifically, but I know that he was fired so like, in his home. He was told like a month ago when the playoff series with Carolina ended, he was safe. Right. He has a conversation. Not. He has a conversation with his bosses at, at the season breakup, and they say, "Hey, Bruce, you're good. Have a good summer. Come back next season refreshed. Right. You know, let's we're good to go here. You're you're safe. Have a good summer." That. Three that weeks team. later, three weeks later, your boss calls you and says, hey, bud, uh, we got to talk about something. Can we have a meeting at your house? And yeah. you're thinking, hey, I'm safe. Yeah, come on over, boss. I'll I'll cook you a burger, right? <laughs> and he shows up and cans you? Come on, I mean, man. Now, hang on a second, because if, if you – I don't know if you've seen any other, like, times where they interview – not they, but, like, any places that interview Bruce Cassidy. We're like, Bruce Cassidy is the guy who goes out and coaches his son's baseball team. Or at least is like involved in that to an extent. Sure. You know what I mean? Like he he is about as regular a guy as you can find as a head coach in the league. Like right. truthfully, like he's probably the next step down from John Cooper almost where you know, John Cooper, the former lawyer who had a normal, <laughs> had a regular everyday day job, became a legendary NHL head Crazy. coach. Crazy. You know, Bruce Cassidy is still very much in every every man's man you know like hey he's just an average right. guy right like he's the coach the boston bruins right and john cooper by the way in the same way that Connor mcdavid probably should win the ted Lindsay award every year john john cooper probably should win the jack adams every year uh, there, but there's there's a catch to what you're saying and, I, and you already know what it is because the ted Lindsay is voted on by players i'm sure if coaches got to vote on who the best coach was john cooper would win but you're that's probably never right. the way that this award works is the jack adams the media i'd have to go double check for sure okay. but like i, it's I think it's an out, it is an outside source it's not coaches voting for coaches. is it the general managers I don't believe so in that regard either. Okay. I thought that was another one. The general managers was something else, but beside the point at this point. Um, yeah. Here, let's go back to the Boston thing for yeah. a second with Bruce Cassidy because that team is in huge trouble. <laughs> because every, yeah. first of all, post playoff series against Carolina, they go to seven games. Everybody's dead. Game seven, and everybody is injured. Everybody's Brad, dead. Brad Marchand, months on end. Charlie McAvoy, months on end. Matt Grizzlick, months on end. Uh, who was the other one I'm thinking? Mike Riley, months on end. Oh, by the Patrice, way, the, ling Patrice the lingering Bergeron question. Patrice Bergeron may retire. Right, the lingering question about Patrice Bergeron may retire. And now the story about how David Pasternak basically has said, trade me if Don Sweeney's the GM because I don't want to be part of this team if he's the general manager. Crazy. And Boston, then, we've been talking about Boston imploding eventually for years. Right. And it, this seems like it might be it. Now, can I add another layer to this as well? Because yeah. One of the other things doing one of the things, and I, you've you know I've talked about this at length on the show when it comes to the Flyers, which is you can't hope for things. You need like that's not really a plan. I don't want to sit here and just because the funny part was is that the reason people even got interested in this was because David Pasternak was involved because I think it involved like kind of that World Championships kind of thing or whatever when everything was going on. But like, there's talk about David Krejci coming back. Now, you're, first of all, that's a hopeful thing to assume. Like, hey, I hope that they can sign him back. Right. Because he's already basically said he, he, like Bergeron, if nothing else, the one thing that they have got in their favor is that Bergeron pretty much has said, I won't play anywhere else. And right. I don't think Krejci would come back for anybody else either. Same. So you've got your number one and two centers if all of that works out. But you need to hope that they are willing well, to do this. That Bergeron's and, not done. And, and if Bergeron retired, you can always throw his money at Nazem Kadri. I mean, you could, I guess. But How about Nazem Kadri and Brad Marchand on the same line? 
Well, not not at the beginning. Oh. Right, but well, eventually in the playoffs. Well, the thing, in the playoffs. Is, oh yeah. Well, and, and here's the it, well that line already takes a hit though if Pasternak doesn't want to play there anymore. Well, that's which, which yeah. is a huge thing in and of itself. Like like imagine imagine taking that top line, that line that everybody you know puts the nickname on, all that type of stuff. Perfection. Now imagine having that line and having something about all three guys that is a complete unknown. Marshan's injured, will miss the start of the season. Nobody knows exactly if Bergeron's coming back or not because there's always these rumors about he could retire. And Pasternak seems to want out. They're still so, going to find a way to get end up with 112 points and finish second in the Atlantic. I don't think... The, okay, tell me I, I'm I, wrong. I, I, no, I'll tell you why. <laughs> don't I think figure it out. No, I'll tell you why I think you're wrong. I actually would have agreed with you if Bruce Cassidy was still the head coach. And by the way, David Pasternak has one more year left on his contract. Which makes it tradable. And then is he an, uh, an unrestricted free agent? But that makes wow. it tradable now. What a haul do you get for David Pasternak at 6.666 whatever? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Especially if you're not so good and you can retain half. Do you want David Pasternak for the playoffs at under $4 million? Hello? Well, this is – okay, so Pasternak to me sounds like based on all of this, by the way – doesn't this feel a little bit like the Tarasenko thing? Like the guy who says, I'm not going to play for you, but could end up playing there anyway. And then what? let's see what happens. Like The thing is, the thing is, though, when Tarasenko said that, the Blues looked like they were on the verge of falling apart, and then they didn't. The Boston Bruins look like they're on the verge of falling apart, and it's going to hinge on if they do or not. Because Tarasenko went, well, we're going to the playoffs. I guess I'll play here. No problem. That's Let's add in another factor, too, because here's something about the Blues that I don't know if I can say about the Bruins. The Blues got guys who started to emerge that were younger, like, as you saw it go through. Like, all of a sudden, just because, like, Tarasenko was their leading point scorer this year. Right. But here comes Jordan Cairo. Look at him. He's emerged. He's a clear-cut top six guy now. Robert and Thomas. What about Robert Thomas was getting more and well, – he was already good to begin with in my mind, but he took another step. Yep. Ivan Barbashev. Uh, yep. Like, where where are these guys coming from? And all of a sudden, it's like, well, wait a minute. They're not some slouch of a team anymore. These young guys jumped right up. They're they're the veterans now. They're they're establishing or they're they're starting to establish themselves, and, and most you, of them have that ring. And well, and you go out and you acquire uh, Pavel Buchnevich, and that yep. makes a bit of a difference for you. Like that that it didn't you know all that type of stuff. But the thing when I think about Boston is I go, so okay, who's the young guy? You know, because the real, the right answer or the guy who should fit into that category Jake also Stanica. seems. Oh, the, Jack Stanika? Jack Stanika. That's it. I'm sorry. I mean, he's a good player, yes. But yeah, I mean, really, he's. The guy who really qualifies under that umbrella also wants out. Jake DeBrusque should be the <laughs> yeah, guy. You're right. He should be. Like, theoretically speaking, that should be the next guy up if this guy decides I don't want to do this or whatever. I, and, I and still think Jake DeBrusque like for Travis. Con- I still think Jake DeBrusque for Travis Konechny makes a whole lot of sense. I don't. I can't make and that trade. It, it, we can do some picks to balance it out. Like we can, we can talk about value on either side. But I could see a hockey-ish trade am with I, those two guys as the main pieces. Am I attaching Ivan Provorov and getting David Pasternak with him? Like, like, I know that that's not a fair trade either. But you get my point. Like, no, I'm I understand. Sorry, if, if if you're asking me to pick between Konechny and Dabrowski, I'm picking Konechny, and I've kind of been fed okay. up with some of the things I've seen Konechny do from a consistency standpoint. I'd still pick Konechny over DeBrusque because I'll DeBrusque, be honest, is, about, De- DeBrusque is even more cons- inconsistent than Konechny is. That's fair. 
I think you're underwriting him a little bit, but I, I no, think that's like, fair. Like, no, the guy has moments. I think DeBrusque has tons of potential, but I right. have not really seen it outside of um, what was it? Was either the it was either a game? Didn't they win a game seven to advance to the final a couple of years ago, or or maybe it wasn't that? But like they were well, in. He had good play off the year they went to the Cup final, and was I, like I would also like to point oh, out I know that what it's, game seven it's... it was was it, he had a big game against Toronto in a game seven. They won it seven to four, and you're like. Look at this kid. Here he is. Like finally, it, there it is. And but he's so inconsistent otherwise. Like I would also like to point out that one of the reasons it's been speculated that Bruce Cassidy got fired was his failure to properly deploy younger players in a way that allows them to develop right. properly. Well, so I mean, and it can be argued that Jake DeBrusque is, you know, perhaps his biggest category. failing. Right. Right. So well, I am curious kind of in the way that we've seen Travis Konechny falter a little bit over the last couple of years. I'm curious if it's a change of scenery trade for both guys. It, I mean, it could. Well, first of all, it would depend on if um, it, it, on where Bruce Cassidy ends up, for one. Because, well, I mean, you know, if he ends up in Philadelphia, it won't really help. Right, exactly. <laughs> but but one of the interesting things... But I don't, I don't think Bruce Cassidy ends up in Philadelphia. One of the interesting things about the way you're describing it, though, too, is... The thing that Bruce Cassidy had for all of those years in Boston while he was building this up, they made a cup final with him, all that type of stuff. What, like the consistency thing with him was, or the consistent thing with him was, you always knew you could come back to that line. Yep. That line was always there from right. day well, one for him. And think about it. Like, who did he have to develop? Like, they just had veterans. And even when you slot in a guy like Charlie McAvoy, he pops out of college pretty polished. Like, you didn't need to do a whole lot of touching up on Charlie McAvoy. Can I add an element to that as well? Okay. Not only do you pop him out of college where he seems pretty developed, but you put him next to future Hall of Famers. Well, that's that's what I'm saying is you didn't have to do a whole lot. So, like, what? who does Bruce Cassidy get credit for developing? David Pasternak, um, he was going to be good no matter what. I think that guys, I think you can sit there and say that guys like Brandon Carlo and Grizzlick emerged a little bit under okay. Cassidy's eye. I'm but not we're talking here. about, you know, top but six, fourth, fifth, sixth defensemen. Like, we're not talking about, you know, future all-stars well, or anything. All right. Well, here's an, well, again, this is why, I, and this is why I brought up the consistent factor was the top line, because here's the reality of the situation. Boston was always a little bit doomed, in a sense, whenever Bergeron became a question mark. Sure. Whenever it became an uncertainty, whenever he was going to come back, he beca- now that team became a question mark for everything. Like, oh, he anchored not- that ship for years. Let's not forget that this is a team that only qualified as a wild card this year. And even though it was not that small of a gap between... It was a very wild- close Atlantic division. Well, hold- no, I'm saying it wasn't that small of a gap between... The wild card, two wild card teams, and the first team out of the playoffs. That's fair. That was a sixteen point margin. But you've got teams that you know are going to take steps. You got teams that you know are developing as younger teams. Like, imagine how many more years if you take they don't get Krejci back. You take Bergeron out of the equation. Their center depth is now completely demolished from what it was two just two seasons ago. I'll take Ottawa making the playoffs over that team next well, season. Ottawa's an up and coming team. How, yeah. about, how about Detroit's guys? Yep. You know, How about Montreal bouncing back a little bit? Like, well, I'm sure Mon- yeah, Montreal. There's a lot of talent team. in that division. There is. Montreal's going to take a little more time, in my opinion, though. Like, I just don't see them going from worst to playoffs. That it quickly. depends. It depends on how healthy Carey Price can get over the offseason. If he comes back close to 100, percent what have you lost? Just Shea Weber at that point. But that's. Okay. I know that's big. 
Well, no, that's here's the this is the interesting thing to me. I kind of view Carrie Price right now in the same vein as Bergeron in the sense that I don't know the longevity of what they're trying to do at the moment. If Bergeron just if Bergeron just up and leaves, then you see what it could do to Boston. Right. I think that's already what happened to Montreal. Like that most of that's the fair. year, like that most of the year lost for him kind of showed you what life without Carey Price could look like when the successor's not like like sure you know, if Caden Primo's not ready. Well, but think about it. Like the Rangers go from Lundqvist to Shesterkin, and Shesterkin looks as ready as can be. <laughs> Even Shesterkin looks insane. We'll talk about him in a I little know. bit. And, and you see how how it just bridges the gap naturally. Their goaltending has never been a flaw. It's you know, so it's frustrating to watch. Variant. It's so frustrating as a division rival, especially with the luck the Flyers have had over the years. Sure. But but now look at it from Montreal's standpoint. If you don't have the next young guy ready and you're trying to figure out who it is, right. you don't have time to be a playoff team in the years in between. Like it's just gonna naturally take time. That's fair. That's that's the problem. And and it, you know, I don't want like it's so hard to sit here and say what like trying to because it is a little bit of apples and oranges comparison here because replacing your two-way shutdown center who also happens to be a really good point producer right. and replacing an all-star you know probably damn near close to hall of fame caliber goalie if he isn't for sure like Carey price right. is right up there. the only thing he didn't do is win a cup I, th- I i think if you're a goalie and you win the heart trophy I think if you play for a franchise like the Montreal Canadiens and are the winningest goaltender in the franchise's history. That's what I'm saying. And also, just given what you've done for Team Canada, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And I agree with you. That's why I'm saying. Like, the only thing he hasn't done is won a Stanley Cup. Right. Yet, think about all the other things he's done. And he does it all, by the way, with Montreal. So the fact that, again, that's about as iconic a brand in the league as you're going to find. I'll be honest. I don't know the list of goalies who are in the Hall of Fame who don't have a cup, but I don't really care. I don't think you could name five goalies that I would say, oh, yeah, that guy was definitely better than Carey Price. Yeah, I mean, it's... There's no chance that there's five guys on that list who are... You know what I mean? Like, Carey Price deserves that spot. Well, you you know who else didn't win a Stanley Cup but is going to go into the Hall of Fame as a goalie as well? Roberto Luongo. Yep. And... Because look how many games he won. He gets over it on longevity. Yeah, right. Like he's he stayed in the league for a long time, and he won a whole hell of a lot. All right, and I'm I'm being facetious here, but Carey Price gets in because he just had a 980 every year. Like Carey Price gets in because he he perfectly represented everything for the. It wasn't just the brand that he happened to play for, the team that he right. happened to play for. He represented that entire country all in many oh, different yeah. ways, and. And did it as as successfully as he yeah. did being a goaltender for the Montreal Canadiens. But we're dr- we're drifting from the topic at hand. Yeah, we're as, drifting as way. Usual. Yeah, let's get all, right. all the way back to the Flyers coaching. So we talked about Barry Trotz and we talked about well, Bruce Cassidy getting dislodged that, in Boston. Right, but this and that's where that conversation went off the rails. Yeah, Bruce. Well, and this and to be fair, Bruce Cassidy is the new wrinkle to this whole thing because Bruce Cassidy is you know as of. Sunday, as of last Sunday, even and we didn't even do a show, but as of last Sunday, wasn't even a factor. Nope. Nobody was talking about. Oh, he's a free agent now. As far as like, we were all concerned, he was safe. Right. So including including Bruce Cassidy. Oh, so, but so so it creates two new wrinkles to the discussion, which is Bruce Cassidy's in the free agent market, and the Boston Bruins are now a team looking for a coach. Yep. So it creates two new things here because you got to start asking yourself, well, which of the guys who are out there could be a fit for Boston? 
And then you got to ask yourself, is Bruce Cassidy a fit for any of the other teams that are still looking for a coach? And obviously a couple have come off of the list to an extent. Like it's very limited, non-surprising things here. The Islanders go with an assistant. The Montreal Canadiens stick with Marty St. Louis and say, listen, you're no, no interim tag here. You're the coach. Done. I think Florida is pretty solidified, even if it's not confirmed. Right. We still don't completely know about Florida. And I think even Chicago is kind of operating off of this a little bit, you know, because I don't think Chicago dropped the interim from uh, from Derek King. But like is like he's still he's like almost has to still be in the running for the full time job among others. It's like it's really complicated stuff. But. Mostly it comes back, like everything keeps coming to the same discussion of the same, I'll call it the same five or six teams, which it's, it's Winnipeg, Philly, Detroit, Dallas, Vegas, and then kind of Chicago's the lingering one. We pretty well assume Florida's not making a change for the most part, though stranger things have obviously happened sure. as the weeks go on. Edmonton just got knocked out of the playoffs, but I assume that that's Woodcroft's job. Oh, yeah. Any reason why not? Yeah, they it's not really confirmed, good. but come on. But either way, and we'll get into that stuff like later. But so, but imagine that. So, all right, Trotz really is holding the key to the whole thing still, and we kind of had talked about that previously. Because of that, like, if you're asking me to handicap which coaches out there are uh, possibilities for the Flyers, or like handicap the odds on the next Flyers head coach, sure, you have to put some of that percentage on Barry Trotz because the possibility exists until he says otherwise. Right, like the interest is there. I would, based on the way that I'm, I'm willing to bet the contract things, offer was there too. <laughs> well, uh, to to my understanding, there's no formal contract offer. I think Bill Meltzer tweeted that this week. Okay, they've discussed term with people, like term and money, but right. no formal contract offer has been made. Um, I'm not me, surprised just, by that. You know, to me, that just means that you're starting to write up like some of the things that would work in the contract, but you didn't do anything formally. Right. That just means you're still waiting to see what Barry's going to do. Pretty much. And, you know, I don't want to jump the gun and give you like a ton of. Okay, so if it's not Trotz, who who do you think it is? Like who who's the lead horse if if Barry Trotz decides to go to Winnipeg or go right, to so, Vegas or you know? So let's do let's so let's do this for a second because I just want to run down the names that we know got first round interviews and then narrow the list down. So okay. Trotz has spoken to the team multiple times, to my knowledge. Right. Um. Usually, like the, the process and Bill Meltzer really pulled the curtain back on this this week with like. Sometimes it's through Zoom. Sometimes they come in. Sometimes it's both over a series of things. Like, there's multiple conversations. Trotz has done this. Tortorella has interviewed with the team, obviously. We, we've already said that. Um, I, to, to my knowledge and to based on reports of other or based on reports of other people, I shouldn't say, I should say, not to mine. I didn't get a tip on this. Right. This, this recently, anyway. But report is that Bruce Cassidy did speak with the Flyers last week. Okay. Kind of is at the tail end of the first round of all this stuff. We've already mentioned Mike Vellucci. Uh Rick Tockett has interviewed with the team. Um, yep. Who was the other one? And uh, well, we're finding out that Peter DeBora in- interviewed with the team. Yeah, that um, one's interesting. I believe, I, and I believe also uh, again this was Frank Cervalli who had this had these two that Jeff Blaschel and David Quinn had interviewed with the team as well. 
So they really are, okay, so I really do feel comfortable saying that we're getting the blank check coach, that they're not, maybe Jeff Blaschel a little bit, but generally speaking, they're looking for a coach who is expected to compete. Like, we're looking at the high end of coaches here, like Pete DeBoer is not going to a rebuild project. Uh, All right, listen. Probably. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't want to say that for sure. Um because there to me there is a very clear cut based on all of those names if i look at those names there's a clear cut top tier and then there's a clear cut second tier right like trots and tortorella and cassidy are all well known well respected successful names debora might get in there it's with close. trots with trots probably being the bell of the ball oh trots is at the yeah. top of any yeah. list here regardless but yeah. but i like you know what I mean when I put them in that upper tier. For sure. If I, like, it, you're starting to see how they've won a lot, and they're right up there and all that stuff. So I would say even Deborah gets into that a little bit, even though they, you know, you got two guys in there that haven't won a Stanley Cup before as a coach. That's okay. Like, they're still up there because the, you know, like, let's put this way. Un- until two years ago, that John Cooper fit that description as well. Like, right. guys who have won a lot but haven't won the final game. That's yep. that's the that's the basis of that. Then I would go down to another tier when I get to Tockett, Blashill, Quinn, Vellucci. Like it's that that's all definitely and a, a name I would have included in that second tier as well is Jim Montgomery, who reports say did not interview with the team. So basically, start take that name out, throw it away. Okay. Now we get to the other portion of this where you have to start considering the second round of interviews. Where does it go? Uh, Elliot Friedman said on the 32 thoughts podcast earlier this week that, and this is a fair way to assess it because I think every team is kind of operating this way. He didn't feel that trots needed to have a formal second round interview. Like the interest is there and it's, it's up to trots. If the project moves forward, it's up to trots. So I I feel like it's very, give me your best offer. Okay. I'll consider it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. You go around, you collect their best offer and then you decide. And like that, you don't really need to do a whole lot more than that, right? So, based on that, so Trotz is just the status that he is is exactly what it's perceived to be. He holds the keys, and wherever everything goes is is what it is. Um, the belief was out of that that Tortorella was getting a second round interview, that Tockett could get one, that Vellucci's interview went well and he could get one, and then we're also. Hearing some things, uh, Anthony Sanfilippo tweeted out on Sunday morning that Deborah is a finalist as well. So I would assume that that means he's getting a second interview as well. Okay. I can't, you know, we can't really say for sure and certain where Tockett and Vellucci stand because it's kind of a, hey, of course. Like, here's the thing. Vellucci could get one because the report is things went really well during his interview. Well, that's a good reason to believe that he could come back. Sure. I kind of get the sense that the reason that Tockett could come back for a second interview is because he's Rick Tockett and as a former Bobby flyer, Clark wants to hang out with him for ninety minutes. Like, <laughs> kind kind of like it wasn't when when that was said do on it, the podcast. Do it at the country club, Bob. You don't need to do it. Like, just when, invite him out to lunch, dog. When that was said on the podcast, it wasn't said with a like, "Hey, that went really well" kind of thing, right? Which, by the way, and I'm not trying to jump too far ahead but when tnt's coverage wrapped for the year because they did the western conference final did you catch the at the end of the panel this was way after the game was over it's like the half hour post game show was over now and they were wrapping up on the studio show after the game did you catch I, it might have been anson carter who said it 
But did you catch the hope you're here next year talk? Yeah, like I did. Like, now, now, in fairness, they've been Elliot, poking fun at him all year for it. No, no, well, and I was to say, in fairness, Elliot Friedman's talked a lot about how Dallas likes talking. So, okay, it's not just the Flyers thing where it's like, oh, hope you're here next year because the Flyers right. want you kind of thing. There could be more than one team out there that really sure. has some serious interest in him. Sure, so Rick Tockett's one I, of the Rick Tockett's one of the hockey men. Like he he's just always got a shot at any open job, basically. Right, but. For me, it comes back to the three big names at the top of the list. And I, and, and I do want to preface this by saying nobody really had anything on Bruce Cassidy yet. Like there's kind and I kind of because I had somebody asking me about that and I turn around and I eat on Twitter and I said, you know, I think it's too early in the process. Like, yeah, he just got fired this week. He's he been doing them. On- he's been doing a lot of talking about his past. He hasn't really done a whole lot of talking about his future yet. Like he Bruce Cassidy has kind of been settling some scores in Boston. Right. Like, like I kind of feel like and I, the way I responded was I'm like, there's definitely interest. It's just whether he's made it to the second round or not remains to be seen because of the fact that he's just entering the market and the process is just beginning. Right. So like the others, we've been discussing these names for weeks, like it, it, even Deborah, it was not a surprise or it's not a secret that he was out there and available. Like when Vegas let him go, it was maybe a little later than some of the other teams had done. But it was still not really shocking because everybody kind of had a feeling that that was the type of change that they could make. Right. And then, you know, we've all we've been talking about Trotz and Tortorella all s- since the season, since the Flyer season ended, or since Trotz entered the market anyway. We've been. Like, I was gonna say we've been talking about Tortorella since uh, Alain okay. Vigneault got fired behind closed doors. <laughs> exactly. So, for me, that's the stuff I keep coming back to is those three. It's Trotz, Tortorella. I think Deborah now is a serious, like serious player in this at this point, but which I, which as of this morning, up until Anthony Sanfilippo's report came out about that, I don't know if I would have expected that as much. Right. Um, you know, I do think it's interesting. Like, like we just like, like to talk about, we talked about Tockett and we said like with Tockett, it's obvious why there's an interest because right. he knows the organization as well as anybody who could interview. Yep. <laughs> The fact that Vellucci could get a second interview still intrigues me because me of the fact that, again, he's a guy who has a management background as much as a coaching background. I would That's love. That's very intriguing yep. to me that he seems to be a second-tier guy. Like, this isn't the same thing as the second-tier guys. Like, oh, we're just going to bring in another retread from this rebuild. This that is a like, new coach. Like, this is somebody with no coaching experience in the NHL, like at the NHL level. Right. Right, but here's the well, yeah, exactly. I know he's got all the experience in the world. No, I, I do. I just I, mean at the as an actual NHL bench boss, zero. But imagine like the fact that he's the one who's kind of surviving that, and it's not your typical retread. Like, like it would be so I want to call it predictable, but like I kind of would understand if you were gonna go the retread higher, like all these other guys seem to be, and say, yeah, you know what? It's Jeff Blashell or it's David Quinn. Because, you know, because why? Because they've been through that rebuild process before, so why not do it again? Like, yep. it's a guy who just knows his position. It's a guy who knows start molding guys. Yep. And he's going to spend three years. He's going to spend three years putting guys in the right position, and then he's going to move on, and the team will succeed. And you're not going to cross the finish line doing that, probably, but you're going to be here to kind of be the stopgap. But and, that's what we need. Like when when we talked when Elaine Vigneault got fired about who the next coach would be, and we talked about the fact that they could hire a Travis Green type, you know, or like a younger, unpro or less proven one of these, uh, you know, tank managers as we call them, tank commanders. Mm-hmm. 
And that would probably be the best long-term solution. But we both acknowledged that what Comcast was probably going to do was throw a whole bunch of money at what has turned out to be John Tortorella, Barry Trotz, uh, Pete DeBoer, you know, all these these big name guys coming in. And it's just, I still like the Travis Green type name. I still like one of these teaching guys, one of these guys who can mold the young group. Because we've talked about next year's lineup is probably going to have a whole lot of young guys in it. And I don't want John Tortorella running that ship. All right, so let's let's break this down for a minute right. here because there's there's one thing I will counter with. Tortorella is the very clear exception to everything in here. Because to me, Tortorella is just the straight go for it coach. There is yeah. there is a part of me that has a feeling that you could bring in a Barry Trotz and say, see this process through, and he could possibly do it. I like, agree. It may not be great on day one and it may not be great in year one, but if you have a five year contract and you really see it through with him that he could come out on the other side of this thing and still be coaching the team when they get good. You know? I don't know if I don't know if Chuck Fletcher survives two bad years, maybe even one more bad year. Oh, I think he's absolutely got. He's got less than that. He's got like right. the first. That's, to me, he's that's got the first. That's what I'm two, saying. To me, he's got until Thanksgiving to prove that this team isn't a pushover and that <sighs> they're not like the worst in the league kind of stuff. And Things might be real very quickly next but, season. But I don't think that it, but here's the thing. I don't think that if they had to go, like if they hired a new GM in the middle of the year, I don't think the new GM, normally they like to bring in their own guy. I get that. I think it's a little different when Barry Trotz. When it's Barry Trotz. Yeah. Like, like again, that's why I you hire, to- you hire a general manager that you're willing to potentially replace with Barry Trotz in, at the end of that contract if that's what Barry Trotz wants. <laughs> right. Well, and this is why I said like when Barry Trotz got fired by the Islanders and it was a big surprise then too, like. Yeah, I'm with you. I was with the get go, get the second tier level coach. Just you know. you know what? Just give Barry the the keys. If you fire Chuck, just here, here you go, Barry. You're the I, GM well, too. I, I don't know. See, I don't know if they want to do that because I think that again, it would take. It's not just taking it away from Chuck at that point. It's taking it away from everybody that you know has some hands on at this point. I, I wish, but no, I'm just trying because the, the people with hands on ain't working. Well, I hear you, but that's you know how this is going. But, uh, but I, I'm trying to what I'm trying to get at with this is, is that that made me change my mind. Like if you like, sometimes you don't have the luxury of saying, you know what, we're ready for that guy three years from now. We gotta like no, when this, when you gotta just fish jump this in. big hits the market. You gotta right. hook it. And there's an element to me, and I know that we've already mentioned the thing with Bruce Cassidy and the you know the thing with the younger guys and all that type of stuff. There is still an element to me. For like with him that you could bring him in and he could very well see his way through the process because it's I not agree. like he it's not like he stuck around a team for a short period of time and his, and his first year as head coach by the way they did miss the or they I thought they missed either they missed the playoffs or it was the, they had just missed the playoffs two years in a row under Claude Julian and that's why Claude Julian was out after after ten years like talk about a total like like it's funny I, I, I had conversations about this earlier in the week because we keep talking about or one of the things that comes up a lot is the turnover of coaches in the NHL and then the way that they get rehired by somebody else and then a turnover again like three years, four years later. Boston hasn't done that. No. Boston's gone the last almost two decades with the same coaching staff in terms of Claude Julian's been the head coach for 10 years and then it was Bruce Cassidy for six. And 
I'm trying to see if I can see before. And then. I think Cassidy was an assistant under Julian. So like at, your hierarchy but, remained essentially the same for a very long time. But it, it, by the way, it's funny because not before. So for one year in between, uh, like before Claude Julian, there was a coach. Um, hang on. I'm pulling up who this is. Give me a minute. Uh, so Dave Lewis coached Boston that year to like a 35, 41, and 6 record. They didn't make the playoffs, so he was Oof. in and out in one year. The year before that, though, for two years before that, the head coach of the team in – so this would be the last year before the lockout and the first year after the lockout. Okay. The head coach of the Boston Bruins, who in the year, of the, the year before the lockout won the division and then the year after missed the playoffs, and that's why it probably soured out. But right. the head coach of that team was Mike Sullivan. That's who ulti- no? Who at that time probably nobody thought was going to be that like that great of a head coach. Right. You got you got to factor in something. He got hired as the head coach of the Bruins at 35 years old. Wow. Totally green, as far as I can tell. Like not not like in terms of uh, right. coaching, but you get the point. And then didn't have a head coaching job again because he was on staff. Like he was on the staffs that John Tortorella put together sure. for many many years. Didn't have another head coaching job until he was 47 in 1560. <sighs> And has stayed there since, obviously. Remember when Dave Haxtall got another job right away? Or pretty right away? <laughs> I mean, it was an assistant coaching job, but still. Oh, okay. Well, no, I'm, I'm talking about the fact that he got the Seattle job, what, 18 months after he got fired? Yeah, I hear you. Um, and by the way, so as I'm reading it now, so Claude Julian was the head coach for Boston into the 16-17 season. And they, he, they fired him midway through after he was 26, 23, and 6. And Cassidy nice. took over and finished the year with an 18-8-1 record that got Boston to the playoffs. They lost in the first round that year. And then ever since then, they have not l- missed the playoffs since, which is kind of why wow. this year, when it, when your team, like, fourth place in the Atlantic Division this year was a 51-25-26-5 and, and fi- record. Insane. And that, and because, the, and then they lost in seven games to Carolina in the first round, and that was enough to say, nope, you're out. That's why it's and that's why it's a problem. Like I, I think right. when I well, and when I, I think it's a general manager and a team president and a team hierarchy that is uh, starting at the bottom because they know it's rotting and they're they're cutting limbs out from underneath right. them to save to save themselves. Um, I I, I, I want to read something that I responded like a tweet I responded to about the turnover or whatever because someone like shared coach turnover is kind of ridiculous. Right? I said honestly, it's more than just the turnover. Cassidy won the Jack Adams in 2020. Trotz won it in 2016 and 2019. Gerard Gallant won it in 2018 with Vegas. And yep. Tortorella won it in 2017 and all have been fired since. Hell, Rod Brindamore won the Jack Adams last year. And there were already people questioning his job status after Carolina lost in the second round this year. There's which no is way he ridiculous. gets fired. Yeah, no, but, he's... But, like, they will that, riot in the streets if they fire Rod Brindamore. They will burn down PNC Arena if that team fires Rod Brindamore. He is a deified god in that city. But this is the thing, right? Like, why do we have people who question coaching as the first thing just because a team doesn't make it past a certain – like, can you imagine, like, how much longer would it have been than, like, in that respect than all the years that John Cooper never won a Stanley Cup until 2021 or 2020 and 2021 – 
that all the years he came close, it didn't matter how close, it didn't matter because he was not getting it done. That was where they stopped the progress. You know, oh, they they might make a Stanley Cup final, they make the conference finals, but they don't win, so he got to go. Like, can you imagine if people talked like that about him? Or same thing, who, you know, Colorado couldn't get past the second round. Well, you know, Jared Bednar's probably not doing a very good job. We should get rid of him. Like, like can you imagine if people I'm talk sure about the con- I'm this? sure the convert I heard conversations about it that if if they had lost in the second round again, Jared Bednar would have been on the hot seat. And I can I think, see it with the second round, but once and you I get think, past a certain point. Oh yeah, for sure. But I think with Barry Trotz on the market, I think Jared Bednar is absolutely in trouble if they go out in the second round again. Right. Well, and obviously that's not a oh discussion my God. we're having right now. But Barry Trotz with Kale McCarr, Devon Sam Gerard, Bo and Byram. Oh my! Stop! 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 It's not fair. Right. Okay. Either way. All right. But either Let's, way. So so handicapping this thing because that's what you really right. asked me. I would say that if I had to pick the leader at the moment, it is probably Tortorella. Okay, I agree. That's my, that's my gut right now because to me, there is there is one important factor. And for what it's worth, like I said, I don't really have a read on Cassidy and the report that Anthony Sanfilippo put out there about Deborah is kind of a new thing to me anyway. That was one of the names that just didn't come up much, period. You know, that was so a lot of teams are making certain info, like not to say certain information, but a lot of teams are making their coaching searches. Some of the best kept secrets on, on, on the planet. Right yeah, now. It's, it's a very secretive market, because I think the only thing that's not a secret is that everybody's waiting on Barry. Barry Trotz. Trotz. Nobody, yep. nobody's really discussing the contingency plan if Trotz doesn't pick your team. Yep. You know what I mean? Like the but this is the thing. So the only other name that I've gotten really good intel on outside of the Trotz torts. like that is Tortorella. And yep. basically, the reason uh, there's two reasons why I think that he's the leader. Number one is that obviously he's this far into the process anyway. So the fact that his name keeps coming up means he's a serious candidate. Like, God, I'm so mad Jake Voracek's not here anymore because him and Tort screaming at each other would have been gold. Um, sorry. But the, sec- <laughs> yeah, but the second, the second reason why I believe that he's quite possibly leading this process. Is because of the fact that have you heard his name come up at all when it comes to anybody nope. else? And again, people are keeping stuff close to the vest. I get that. I think people know Chuck Fletcher has dibs. Because, well, here's it's not that I, I don't want to call anybody dibs on anything, but I will say this: Tortorella does, from what I've been told, anyway. And uh, Sam Filippo said this on the latest Snow the Goalie as well. So this is, you know, I I'd heard the fairly same well thing. sourced. <laughs> but I'd heard the same thing that Tortorella wants the job, right? He actually wants to coach the Philadelphia Flyers in their current state. Man. He still wants to do it. Like, man, well, and and I think and I didn't mean literal dibs because I obviously, but I, I think it's been made known that Chuck Fletcher has put his best foot forward when it comes well, to I, conversations with with John Tortorella. Clear, and let's be clear, because I'm sure you well, and you're not really on Twitter all that much, but John Butchergrass has been putting out the picture of like. Yep, I saw the Tortorella Gritty picture. Yep, and he's yeah. Well, he's done it twice now, and he's and, he was right the first time. Well, he's he's doing it because of the fact that this is serious. I don't know that he's doing it because of anything else. But you know what? The other part of the equation is if, is that if anybody's going to find out anything, don't you think it's the people who work directly with him on a regular uh, basis? You know, like come on. I don't think that that's just being done. Like there definitely isn't that. Look, there's an. They might have had a conversation done. about it. <laughs> Listen, there's an element of that being done because it's real, but there's also an element being done because it's a because troll. Because it's Tortorella, right. 
No, because it's the troll job. Because sure, Butcher, because Butcher Gross as a broadcaster knows oh, how could, Philly fans are going to react to something like that. So, of course, you're egging it on a little bit. Come well, on. Well, I, I would be absolutely stunned if Tortorella wasn't in on it. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Because they're having a ball with it. And, I, and can't, get- I can't wait to hear what John Tortorella has to say about Carter Hart. Oh, here we go. I mean, like I said, I don't want to – If you, so if you want me to put percentages on stuff and I'm getting – a lot close. Now I have to reconsider a little bit because I the the DeBoer thing changes things a little bit for me. I'm willing um, to put him in the forty percent range. I was willing to give for Tortorella. I was willing to go fifty fifty shot. Wow, That's how serious I was Tor- feeling. Torts versus the field. I think Tortorella is a fifty fifty. I think that Trotz is probably about a twenty to twenty five right now because simply because he holds it, it depends the keys on him. To it. Like right, like the team is definitely interested here. I think the flyers odds are lower than you think they are. I, why would Barry Trotz want to come to Philadelphia? Like he's got all the, he's got more money than God. Like he's fine. But for what it's worth, like I'm there, there are other, like no offense to Mike Vellucci, but I don't even know if I give Vellucci a percentage. No, I agree. I think he's lumped in with the field. Like back in the day when you could bet on the PGA and you could bet on tiger Phil or the field. Oh yeah. 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 I get your point. It's it's Barry John or the field. But, well, no, I'm not even going that far with it because, like, to me, I mean, maybe if you want to play 25% the field or 30% the field with Deborah and the other two with Tockett and right. Bellucci, then go right ahead, I guess, and Cassidy, I guess, too, in that in the realm of possibilities. But I kind of like I kind of lean towards this. You know, I don't want to completely rule out the field, but that's why I kind of sit there and say trots for me is a 25 almost because I kind of almost want to sit here and say it's. 25% trots, 50% torts, and 25% whatever's left because I kind of lean towards this being a two-horse race right now. I agree. Well, speaking of two-horse races, uh, the NHL playoffs are finally down to a two-horse race. <laughs> I think that was about a, the, the best transition best I could possibly could do. Yeah, uh, nice we're gonna... yeah. so uh, let's start with the series that ended the quickest. What do you say? It's a great place to start because I... I don't, uh, you know, I was going to say we don't have a lot to talk about with it, but I think there's actually a lot to talk about with it because I feel so atrocious for Connor McDavid. (laughs) Why? Because they won't get him a legitimate goaltender? Because they won't get him a legitimate goaltender. They won't, they won't get him a winger. They won't get him a second line center because they keep putting Leon Dreisaitl on his wing. They, they can't get him more than one good defenseman. I like I legitimately believe that Connor McDavid could have and probably should have signed a max contract for 14 plus million dollars <laughs> and I think he cut the team a break by only getting a 12 and a half or 12 and a quarter or whatever his number is you, you, you have to support him more than you have I I think that more than ever this year, Connor McDavid showed how good he is in terms of the so freaking well, good, but not in terms of the offensive skill. Like I think he showed how good he can be at both ends, legitimately. Like you can make it, like it's it's you know, it's a it's a thing for the Oilers to be able to like. It should really be a thing to hang their hat on here that the Oilers can sit here and say with Connor McDavid and with Leon Drysital on one foot. You can yeah. get to the Western Conference Final. That's massive for your team's overall development. Connor now you Mc- need to go out there and actually supplement this whole thing. 
Connor McDavid during these playoffs mm-hmm. put himself in my in my eyes, in my opinion, leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the league. Whoever you think the second best player in the world is, whether you think it's Sidney Crosby or Leon Dreisaitl or Kale McCarr or Igor Shesterkin, uh, uh, take out Shesterkin. Goalies are weird. Whatever skater you think is the second best player in the world, Connor McDavid could play circles around him in his sleep effortlessly. He did things during this playoff run that put him in a conversation with 99 and 66, and that's it. And in some cases, just with 99. He is so infinitely much better than the rest of the league that it's not fair. The, the kid's a cheat code. There was a great article about his speed where they talked to many different players. I mean, I believe that the names that were in that article were guys like, you know, Hall of Fame names like Mike Gartner, Mike Medano, Paul Correa, like... They talked to legend Paul Coffey was in it as well as a defenseman talking about the fact that basically the thing that separates McDavid from the field is that, yes, there are guys who can skate as fast as he can, maybe even faster without the puck. But he does not lose speed when he gets it. And that's usually what separates one from the rest. He is that fast and can move that fast while controlling the play as opposed to just being the guy who moves that well without it. And that's the biggest, you know, that's the biggest difference. He, he the, but the bottom line still comes down to you can't do it all yourself, you know. No, and, not not in hockey. You just can't. And you know, when you get a team that you're playing against that has the depth that Colorado does, for sure. I mean, I, I don't want to sit here and act like Colorado's depth is probably you know the best in the league completely because. I think we're going to talk about a team that's got depth that's probably better than Colorado's on paper. But okay, but they're up there. I mean, they're easily top five, maybe you know, probably top three in terms of right. overall depth. I'm saying there might be somebody better than Colorado in terms of depth. I think one of the teams that's you know the other team that's left has something to say about that. And yet, there you know, there's not a like reliance on the like the the star players is what I'm trying to get at. Like Edmonton so relies on like McDavid's got to show up in a big way and Drysaddle's got to show up in a big way and that can can that help other players? Absolutely it can. That's what makes Zach Hyman look as good as he did and that's what makes Evander Kane have the series that he did or the the playoff that he did. But for other guys, you know, at some point in time you're also playing on a line where they're not involved in things. You know, we're not playing on a power play. And eventually you need more than just like that. Like, like, did you did you notice what happened when Edmonton was down a forward? So they were kind of shuffling things around. And next thing you know, like McDavid and Dreisaitl can make anybody better. Yeah. The point where Zach Cassian scoring a game tying goal, you know, in a game like that, you know, that's high scoring back and forth, crazy amounts of goals in the third period. And and Zach Cassian's the one who's scoring. You know, they've set up tons of people like, you know, but it was not coming with the same like it just doesn't come with the same level. Like I'm not hearing, you know, hey, you know who scored a couple goals tonight or, you know, who had a really big game? Warren Fogle or Derek. Ryan. Oh, like he, They disappeared because it was, be- I think, based on the depth of Colorado became easier to yep. mask those guys for other teams. That may have been a problem. 
but not for Colorado, and that's the difference. So Colorado just across the board, like they yeah, I do want to talk that. about them. <laughs> they have that big line at the top already, which now you know, certainly given, a, like first of all, obviously they're here, so I think this makes the argument stronger. But Florida had a really good top line this year. Yep, and it faded in the playoffs. Yep, and. We've already talked about Boston's top line kind of being a little bit in shambles at the moment just with a lot of things. So I would say the best line in hockey right now, you know, the McKinnon, Landeskog, Rantanen trio. I agree. Just seems to be able to, You know what was really telling about the whole thing to me was game four. Because in game four, you couldn't even play that top line. Nope. You had to switch it up and you put Miko Rantanen at center. Because Nazem Kadri was not able to play. Yep. And it didn't do a thing nope. to your production. You were still as good as you were the day before. That team, like, I, I know that team doesn't necessarily have the depth off, you know, among their forward core of maybe the Lightning and some of these other teams that we've kind of talked about. Right. Where they make up for that is that their defense, one to six, is stellar. Do you want to know something funny about the clinching game? Okay. It wasn't, you know, by the standards of the way the lineup actually was presented, which had Rantanen on the second line centering as opposed to the first line right wing slot. Right. But let's assume that that's the way, because we know it is that, right? We know Rantanen with McKinnon and Landeskog. So traditionally, if you're going to start the top line, your starting lineup was Landeskog, McKinnon, Rantanen, McCarr, and Devon Taves. And yep. those five players scored the first five goals of the game for Colorado. Talk about top-line production. Each one of them individually made their own mark on what you know the whole thing. Makar especially, because Makar was... This is the thing about Makar and Taves that makes a difference. You can only get so much out of... Like, truthfully, you can only get so much out of Landis Cog, McKinnon, and Rantanen on a line together because of the fact that they play a chunk of time together. Sure. It there's, only, there's only one puck. Right. No, it changed in game four because in game four, Ranton moved to another line. So now they're separated, but it's still the same premise outside of power plays. Yep. You know, that's the only time when they're all on the ice together. And but you still again on a power play, you get a minute, maybe a minute and a half, depending on how well they're doing with possession. And they're a good enough even, unit that they're going to play a minute 40 on most power plays. Let's be honest. It, it just depends. To me, it, it all comes down to whenever the team, the other team clears. the Fair enough. But they're you not know, changing it a minute most of the time. They're usually giving it one more shot, and if they get right. stopped at the blue line, then they're switching it up. And if not, they can gain entry and stay out there. At even strength, that gets trimmed probably by about 15 seconds at least. So you now you're talking 45 seconds, maybe a minute max, but like sure. usually a minute's reserved for your defenseman. So the big catalyst here is that top defensive pairing because of the fact that you can put them with anybody. Yep. It's not as exclusive. Like, it doesn't go the other direction. The forwards, who like, when you put them with any defensive pairing, they're still the same skill level forwards they are, and their goal is still to provide offense. Well, you know, guys have certain responsibilities to be better defensively, obviously, sure. but, but it's not the same thing. Notice how, though, when it got to overtime, that when Arturi Lekkinen scoring the game-winning goal, the defense pairing that's on the ice for that particular shift is Taves and Makar. So that this way, your two best defensemen are out there now with a line that is not your top line. Yep. 
Now we're doing something different. It, it changes the way things are, and this is how Makar seems to come and emerge more. That's it. Because right. he's out there more often playing more minutes and playing with more guys than these other forwards are. And you can't do that with all defensemen. Like You can't right. even do that with – there are – theoretically, there are 64 top-pairing defensemen in the NHL. You can't do that with 50 of them. Like, it's a very small percentage of players that you can just say, hey, listen, we don't care when you're out there. We trust you. And Kale McCarr plays very responsibly defensively. He's sure. been excellent defensively. <sighs> Is it too soon to make comparisons to Primer Carlson? I, I don't know if it's too soon to make comparisons to that. Because I like that's the kind of command he has over the game. Like, he... The watching Eric Carlson in 2016 take the take yeah. the Senators to the Eastern Conference Finals essentially on one leg, and that's the kind of performance we've gotten out of Kale McCarr this offseason. He has been incredible. First of all, so there's two points I want to make about this. One is about Colorado's team as a whole, but I want to stick to McCarr for a second because McCarr is part of a discussion that I think is going to be relevant for a really long time and is going to stir up discussions like nobody's business for the next decade probably. Okay. Because because you're at a point right now where the answer to who's the best defenseman in the game has multiple answers. Yep. Like I don't know who the best defenseman in the Stanley Cup final is this year. That's how no. much of a debate it is because the guy who's the big name on the other side of Colorado in the Stanley Cup final has a case. And it's crazy. And, if you don't know who won the Eastern Conference Finals, that's not a spoiler. <laughs> Quite frankly, because I, both Adam Fox and Victor Hedman are in that conversation, frankly. And realistically speaking, I mean, there's more that you can add to that. I mean, Colorado played one of them on their way here because Roman Yossi is going to be in that discussion for a long time. And, you know, you can do this with probably not as long as the other guys. <laughs> Well, then, see, but in that respect, then neither is Hedman because Hedman and Fair. Yossi are going to be on that same page. Like Fox and McCarr are the two big guys that it's that are the next. Like, like, do you the know difference, what this is? Yeah, this is so. Victor Hedman and Roman Yossi are Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin, and Adam Fox and Kale McCarr are Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews. Okay. There's going to come a point where, like right now, all four are involved. And they're all going to be talked about among the best, right? To be to be fair, the I think the difference between Yossi and Hedman, and why I think Hedman will hold up better than Yossi does, is just simply because Hedman has a much better team around him, and Yossi is very likely to fall off a cliff, and he's a big right. part of the reason why Nashville was as decent as they are this year. One, but the reason, and the reason I keep going back to, or not keep going back to this, but the reason why I'm calling it like that is because Crosby and Ovechkin as great players are still on the back nine of the playing career. Right. And I would sure. say and I would say that Yossi and Hedman are the same because even if they're in on like you can even put them on the younger side. You can sit there and say, hey listen, a guy's thirty years old, doesn't matter. You're a defenseman. You're getting in the way of shots. You're gonna likely you're more likely to get hurt. The, the you play more like, minutes. Like, yeah. well and, and here's the thing about it. The end sometimes is not pretty even for Hall of Fame caliber players. Look at Zidane right. O'Chara. Like sometimes the end is not very pretty, but you know it is what it is. Then you've got this next wave like Matthews and McDavid where you sit here and you go like, listen, we're going to be talking about Adam Fox and Kale McCarr for the next 15 years. They're so exciting. 
and there could be more behind them. Like, yep. who knows who else we're going to talk about in that same in that same vein? But like those Cam York, guys, baby. I mean, <laughs> probably I, not. But we can. That wasn't that wasn't the Michigan defenseman that I kind of was thinking could enter that conversation. Maybe a few years down the road. I mean, it's way too soon to tell if Owen Power enters that discussion. But like okay. certainly, certainly as a guy who went first overall, though, you gotta, gotta give it, you gotta give it some consideration. Hedman was a number two pick, by the way. Yeah, we gotta we gotta temper our expectations when it comes to Buffalo was, development. I hear you, but Hedman was a second overall pick. McCarr was a fourth. Like guys who get drafted high can turn yeah. into exactly what they are expected to become. And maybe that's like, I think you're see Owen powers too young for me to yeah. jump the gun on him yet. I don't feel like Rasmus. Well, then Dalene, maybe you can go with Rasmus Dalene. Oh, wait, yeah, has not yeah. emerged quite like a number one pick. You yeah, know, that's why I said we got to temper our expectations when it comes to Buffalo. But, but, a lot uh, of these, but a lot of these playoff teams have that guy. You know what I mean? Like if you're a team in the playoffs, you've got a guy like this. He's probably not as good as the four that we're talking about the most, but you've got right. a guy. Like Miro Heiskinen or John Carlson or Charlie McAvoy or, you know, like the list keeps going on. You know where I'm sure. going with this? But it's funny Jacob how Slavin. The, Slavin's really good. <laughs> and he plays with Brent Pesci. That that pair is so good. Carol, Carolina has probably done the best job of any team to take guys who you don't expect to be like. They're not superstar defensemen, but they are incredible. Like they are very, very good in terms of like consistency. Yes. They don't do anything super special other than just play a consistent game. And yet the funny thing that I'm getting at with this is that, okay, so we've already praised Colorado with McCarr and all that stuff. I'm not talking about – I haven't mentioned a single Oilers defenseman yet. And I'm, <sighs> Man, Darnell and, Nurse was not good in this series. Now, Darnell Nurse also was playing with a bad hip. I understand. Needs, you know, so when the injuries hit, you know, it is what it is. I get that. But – my issue with Darnell Nurse is never going to be what he's capable of doing. I think he is a very good defenseman. I don't think he's worth the money he's going to start getting on this next no. contract, and that's the problem I'm always going to have is that somehow or other he he's going to make that kind of money and not be worth it. Correct. That's that's the thing. I I I've said I said on the last show we did. I think Evan Bouchard is going to become a really good defenseman because he's shown me something. Now he had a moment in this series. Uh, I forget what game it was, but he absolutely got schooled on a play. Right. Well, and the problem is eventually you're going to have to pay him. You will. Yeah. And like well, you're like the, the Oilers are two years away from just imploding on their salary cap. The Oilers have nice what I would call it, like they have nice right. defensemen in terms of like, you know, nurses in that conversation. Nurse is very good. Yeah, I like, think Nurse is very good. You know, and it's not like you can take the, the rest and say there's not serviceable players. Like Duncan if, Keith was if, still serviceable in the playoffs, but he's he's on the back nine, and then Bouchard and Tyson Barry are they're like they're nice defensemen, they're nice pieces, but I, are they your number ones? No. If you're starting a team from scratch, mm-hmm. current contract in hand, Darnell Nurse or Ivan Provorov. I mean, what Nurse is going to be making is extreme, and that's the yeah. problem. I would probably take Provorov because, well, because you know what? But you hesitated. It was tough. No, I'll tell you what made it the deciding factor for me, because I know you're sitting here saying starting a team with. Right. But let's just say it's an expansion draft, and you're literally playing this or that with me. Okay. And I'll take Provorov's contract. Because it's easier as, to move. No, because it's, you know what? That becomes my number two, and I go, okay, that's a number two defenseman for me. Fair. Done. 
You um, know, like I value I value Nurse almost the same way. Like I don't know if Nurse is completely a number one, even though he gets paid like one. I know why people think he is. I think he's I a one B. It's very close. Um, I want to go back to the Avs and Makar for a second because I want to yeah. go back to what you said because you're right. All six of them are re- have been really good in the playoffs, these six defensemen. And I'm going to say something that I never thought I would say when we do this show. Okay. Because I'm going to mention all the others first. So, like, I already said Devon Taves, who I think has been great for them. He's been obviously. spectacular. By the way, they're doing all of this without Sam Gerrard, who yep. I also thought was really good all year. Um, add in the fact, you know, Manson's been a great pickup for them, obviously. That just he just fits straight in from the beginning. Yep. Um, you know, so they've obviously they've got great defensemen. Eric Johnson has his moments. I think he's a perfect middle guy, you know, all that stuff. You know who else is playing really well? And I hate to say it. I can't believe I'm gonna say he's playing well. Jack Johnson even is a fit on this team. Yep. He sure I is. Know that, I know that that's typically been a well, joke, but, but he really here's, has played well. Here's the thing is Jack Johnson was never a bad defenseman. Jack Johnson was just never good enough to live up to the money he was getting. I say he was just an overpaid defenseman is right. what I'm saying. It's like, okay, I get the occasional grief for my feelings on Andrew McDonald. Uh-huh. And, if, and I've always said if Andrew McDonald made two – I wouldn't have had a problem with him. It's the right, fact that he, he was making six, five or six five. million dollars to be an absolute pylon. Um, now, obvi- obviously, Jack Johnson is only playing in the series because Gerard is hurt and he's right. the next one up. Because because the other name I haven't mentioned, who obviously like, listen, I, th- this is it. Like I should have said him way earlier than what I did because Bowen Byram is going yep. to, like Makar and Byram are going to terrorize teams for years to come because Byram is. I don't. I don't know if we can put anybody on the same level as Makar because Makar has been so good, but Byram is really good for such a gifted, creative, talented offensive player. Joe Sackick is really good at getting defensemen. Some, you know what? Some guys. One of the things I was told years ago in a press box was that there are guys who. Some guys are really good players, even great players, Hall of Fame level players. And they just don't make great coaches. Right. Right, right. We've seen Wayne Gretzky in Arizona. And we've seen Patrick Waugh in Colorado. Right. Like, it, sometimes it happens. So, which, which, I still think he's going to get another shot one day. But that's Well, just Patrick Waugh's coaching in juniors right now. Yeah, so he'll get another shot in the show. You know, but, um, you know, sometimes that lends to, which, what the, which lends to the other side of the conversation, which is why you get, you know, ex-players who you don't even realize are ex-players, you know, Let's you know. Let's play this game. With, well, let's let's wait. Bruce Cassidy. Was I was gonna say player. Bruce Cassidy. Right. Perfect example. You, you know, Bruce Cassidy was one of them. You know who else you can go to? There was another one I was thinking of, and I now I'm I'm losing it that quickly just because I, we were going on. Barry Trotz wasn't a player, was he? I believe he might have been at some point, but okay. like, you know, ages ago. But right. um, man, it was a guy who was in a role like he was a role player who turned out to be a brilliant coach. Because it, and it, it, now it's escaping me that quickly, and this is bothering me because it's a it's somebody who was easy. Oh, you know who used to play? Now I know who it is because he just got knocked out. Gerard Gallant. Okay, yes, he's an yes, ex-player. Yes. But do you, like, do you even think about that? You know, you don't think, hey, the guy had a great playing career. No, you know? <sighs> nobody talks about that part. But he's been a great. He's one of Jack Adams. He's a great yep. coach. Like that's the stuff that happens. You know what I mean? So. All right. So. Back to the uh, the playoffs here. We got Avalanche over the Oilers in a sweep. Yep. Um, 
And, Man, but, you're, just, but you're right. Like Joe Sackick has done a great job with this team and the development uh, and all that. And oh, by the way, for all your you all you former Flyer watchers out there, Nick Ovechkin has got a shot at a Stanley Cup. There you go. And there's a couple on the other side too. Uh, so. uh, I, and by the way, one more point on the Colorado Avalanche before yeah. we move to the other series because let's not forget that they did this in this series with their backup goaltender. Yep. So insane. You know, it's, now, I do want to say that that was starting to look a little shaky in game four because that was kind of that wild back and forth style game and all that stuff. Like that. And there was a lot of speculation that but Kemper the Lightning was going to play that game. No, but there was a lot of speculation that Kemper was going to start a game five if there was one. Right. So he it should be good to, believe, to go with several days off. Leads me to believe he's playing Wednesday. Yes. All right. I would say. So jumping over to the other side of the bracket, the team that they'll be playing on Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> you know what's great? What's great? Sad Rangers fans. Oh. And game five was full of them, man. And honestly, so was game six. Um, The Tampa Bay Lightning went down 2-0 in the first two games of this series. And then decided that that was enough of that. And (laughs) rattled off four straight. And I say rattled off. They weren't dominant. You know, they were close games. Igor Shosturkin. I... (laughs) It's not going to happen, mm-hmm. but Igor Shostarkin should get some Smythe votes. He deserves them, even though he only played in 75% of the playoffs. You know, you know what? I don't think when they vote for that, because they do it kind of, I think they do it as the final goes along. Yeah. So I don't think they ever include anybody who doesn't make the final. I, I agree. Now, now, obviously, like, we had had that discussion that, like on the other side. If Edmonton would have made the final, McDavid's doing what he's doing. Is there a shot he wins the thing without right. winning the cup because it was that remarkable of an overall playoff? If Shesterkin, if the Rangers had gotten through, Shesterkin would be in the same conversation, and it, we would be, and we would be sitting here on this show making comparisons to John Sebastian Jaguar. Yeah, well, I think so. I hear you. We'd be doing um, it. So let's start with this. Remember how many goals the Tampa Bay Lightning allowed in the series against Florida? Uh, Three goals in four games, right? Yes. Okay. So the New York Rangers came out in game one and doubled that immediately. Right. Which all of a sudden made you think, oh, wow, okay. Um, Totally different series, totally different team you're playing against. It is only one game, but nonetheless, right? I think I know where you're going with this, and it's going to make me very happy. And then it happened, and I would say again, but it happened in game two because you get three goals by him and you win a game. Because Andre Vasilevsky looked human. Yes. Which well, is something and, he very rarely looks. I don't know if you've seen him. He's all bug-eyed and stuff. But I hear Well, and I, I, I want to go back to, here's something very important about game two. Rangers fans chanting Igor is better? No, it's not that. And Andre Vasilevsky deciding, that's enough of that now. Um. <laughs> So the Lightning scored first in Game Two, and the Rangers answered with two goals in the second in the in the rest of the period. Took the two-one lead to the second, didn't give up a goal in the second either. So it was still two-one at the end, and came out and scored a minute twenty-one into the third period, which to me means everything. When you already have Tampa Bay vulnerable, right? You have to finish the job. You got him on the ropes. And you can make it an uphill battle by doing things exactly like that, which is scoring early in a period. Game one was only four to two at the end of the second period. It's not impossible for a team like Tampa Bay, who's been there, done that. This is nothing to say one goal and it's a different game. And they've got 15 minutes left, maybe even 10 minutes left to get the other one that ties it up. 
if they're playing better in the third period. Right. When you go out and score in the first minute and make it five to two instead of four to two, though, you just change the whole dynamic. Now yeah. you're in more control and you're hitting them where it hurts and, you know, not letting them get back up when you've knocked them down. Right. So they win, you know, again, that goal kind of sets the tone. And after they scored three goals on them in game two, after scoring six in game one, they'd scored five total goals for the rest of the series. Because, you know, you had a situation here where, and, and, and again, what's the difference? Go to game three, you go up two nothing on yep. power play goals. And yes, Tampa Bay gets one back, but you've got one period left. And the one thing that you couldn't do was give them life. And it was not that Tampa Bay tied the game. That's not the problem. That game needed to get to overtime. Yep. And it didn't. And when it didn't get to overtime, we had a series again. And not only did it not get to overtime, Andre Palat scores with 42 seconds left and crushes the Rangers. You're 42 seconds from getting to overtime, and if you get to overtime, Igor Shostorkin might be able to steal you a game. And if he steals you a game, you're up 3 nothing, and you're so close. You're right there. You're in sudden death. And Andre Palat just tears it to shreds in front of your eyes. Right, Which I, and I think that that fully influenced the way that Game 4 went because Game 4 it was a 3 nothing game for most of the night. Well, it was one nothing, then 2 nothing, then 3 nothing, And at 3 nothing to me, game over. Not, at 2 nothing, it felt like game over, to be honest. But at 3 nothing, it was really game over because it's yeah. early third. You're not scoring three goals on Vasilevsky in the period. Not in Tampa. Right. The other games were different. The last two games were very different. Actually, the fact that the Rangers took the lead in Game 5 makes a huge difference as well because you're going, hey, look what happened. And when the game gets tied like it did, this is almost a repeat of game three because when it's 1-1, again, it's you can't panic off of that. But as the closing stages are hitting, you need to, they really needed that game to go to, get to overtime. Just because at some point in time, look, maybe it happens to you as the team that, you know, that you are – you know, that's trying to win the game like you're like you're the Rangers. Maybe it happens to Tampa, but somebody's going to make a mistake that leads to a big chance because the fatigue starts to set in at some point. You're playing more than just the five minute standard at the end of the game. And you've been playing for a long time. We've already talked about how Tampa Bay's played more hockey in the last three years than anybody else has. So surely there's a possibility that, you know, a mistake happens or something like that. And again, here comes the goal with a minute 50 left, and it's crushing because now you have to scramble into the situation where it feels like it's already over. And go to game six. You're down one nothing. You get the tying goal. There are under six minutes to go or under seven minutes to go. There's six minutes and 53 seconds left, and you're like, there it is. Tie game. Not dead yet. You got a shot to win this game late or in overtime. And then as and soon you, as you breathe your sigh of relief, they you, punch you in the chest and knock the air out of you. And you're and the last thing that you want to do against this team is chase them. Yep. You do not want to chase the Tampa Bay Lightning. And to me, one of the big things, this is at least from my evaluation of the way that the Rangers played this series after game two. And I don't know if this has to do with, like, because game three they had a lead, obviously, and Tampa then pulled it out. So maybe after that game, I'll say, instead. But certainly in the last three. 
they were so busy looking for the perfect play, passing a lot more than they were before. Like, I get it. What won you the first two games is you had the cross-ice passes available to you. You were able to go whatever way you wanted to. Vasilevsky had to do a lot of traveling across the crease to make saves, and he couldn't make all of them, so you scored nine goals in two games. And then after that, it was like you tried to get too cute, too perfect, and there's no time for that with a team that has total buy-in to what is supposed to be done, which is go and block shots, get in the way of everything, hit people off the puck, don't give them time and space, and it creates a situation where you don't have the luxury of playing perfect. Right. And and that is Tampa Bay Lightning hockey as we've come to know it. And as we shift gears to the overall, let's talk about the final as we wrap up. Well, and the other thing I wanted to mention about Tampa is that we talked about the depth scoring out of Colorado. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's who does it better than Tampa Bay? You're well, getting you got- clutch goals out of Corey Perry, Patrick Maroon. Uh, Zach. Did Zach Bogosian score a goal at some point here Bogosian- in the series? Bogosian set up Maroon because he right, danced, right, right. He danced Justin Braun. Right. Thanks, Justin. We appreciate the sabotage, bud. Um, <laughs> but it just as as dangerous as Stamkos, Kucherov, and Point, who by the way should return for the final at some point, though maybe not game one. Um, as much as as dangerous as their big guys are. Look out, man, because Alex Kalorn's going to kill you. Anthony Sorelli is going to kill you. Uh, Andre Palat's going to kill you. Like, I, anybody, anybody. I, they I dress say, 18 skaters. 18 of them can hurt you. I've got to say, based off of, like, everything, because to me, when it counted the most, their big guys were the ones that showed up and did it. Like, game three, you're down 2 nothing in game three, 2-0 in the series to that point. And the goals are Kucherov, Stamkos, and then Palat off of a play with that involves Hedman and Kucherov. Like, right. no, nothing wrong with that when it the, comes to like, listen, hey, you're part, and and Palat's only playing at that position because points not there. As far as guys in the lineup who can kill you, who can score the late goal, who can put the dagger in twenty one seconds after you score the tire, they're eighteen for eighteen. Oh, like, yeah. the, just the entire roster, all of them. And if Andre like, Vasilevsky shot more, he'd probably be just as dangerous. But you having like so game four, you have a situation. Maroon scores first from Bogosian and Belmar, and then oh, hey, then have, Flyers watch Pierre Edward Belmar, baby. This this series also features Brian Elliott, the the best bench door opener there is, right? Because he's not getting into a game. You know what? He'll bench door open for the guy who brings out the cup at the end of it all. That's right. That's all that matters. He'll bench door open as best he can to get a ring on his finger, right? And say, thank you very much, Mr. Cooper and Mr. Stamkos, sir. And Mr. Breezebaugh for signing me. Yep. And, you know, all, all of them. Um, of uh, them. You know, Kucherov had the second goal of game four, Stamkos, and then Palat into an empty net. So, I okay, that one's, again, kind of big guy's thing. Mikhail Sergachev ties game five, shoots the massive puck on, shoots the puck on the shot that goes in off of Palat, and then Brandon Hagel getting a goal into an empty net to ice it. Like it comes from across the board, and usually the the thing about their depth is never. I don't want to make this about goal scoring because that's not what it's about. It's the fact that they don't miss a beat with those guys. Like when Maroon's on the ice with Belmar and Hagel's out there, and you go, you know. 
same thing, you know, it was the same thing that we said when you go, and Sorelli's really good in, in the 2C role, so I don't want to make it seem like, like he's, oh, he's bottom six. But this team's had to reconstruct their bottom six more times than you can imagine because of guys who come in and leave, and you've got Corey Perry down there who yep. has, you know. They who, replaced their whole third line this year. Right. We got Corey, you got Corey Perry down there who we've said multiple times, you know, was the ultimate. If you can't beat him, join him because for two years he couldn't, and now you're trying to, and it's, you know. So yeah. We'll see what happens, but. So let's uh, let's shift gears toward the Stanley Cup final. Now yep. we have the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Man, okay. Before we before we break down this series, simple answer. Okay. Right now, with okay. this series still pending, are the Tampa Bay Lightning already a dynasty? Because my answer is yes. For the record, I don't think you will ever see so. Three appearances with sure. two wins in three years, you're already there. If you win the okay. third one, cement it. Okay, let's let's do it this way. Short again, short answer. I'll say yes, also, but short answer. And here's is yes. Reason is, okay, so they're in a cup final this year. Past two years, they won the whole thing. The year before that was conference finals, and they or no, the year before that the year was before the, that was the Columbus was sweep. The Columbus sweep with the President's Trophy, more wins than any modern era, definitely more wins than any salary cap era team. That I've was ever seen. that was their version of the 2010 Bruins blowing the three nothing okay, lead yep. to the Flyers. Okay, yep. so then the two years before that, both conference finals. The year before that, Cup final, and and losing. Where will you ever find like? Your only first round exit or pre-second round exit was a year where you won 62 games. John Cooper will hands in his pockets whistle walk into the Hall of Fame whenever he decides to. I what, what, no, Hello? When, if, if he could retire tomorrow and they would hand it right. over. And, at that and we talked about this on a recent show. The one year they missed the playoffs, everyone got or Steven Stamkos just got horrifically injured. Right. So, like, that's what I'm getting at. So it wasn't all in a row, but, like, you're going back to basically John Cooper's entire tenure almost. Yep. And they've got, at this point in time, as we sit here speaking about it, they've got two cup final appearances, one pending, but one that was a loss. Two Stanley Cup wins, which means that that's two more finals appearances. So they've been to the cup finals four times under John Cooper, which is already dynasty level as it is. Right. They've been one, and, and the conference final losses that we're talking about, aren't just conference final losses. They were one win away in those. So you're right. talking about a one-win difference between six Stanley Cup final appearances since 2015. Insane. It's only it's only 2022, so we're talking an eight-year span. In eight years, they've been that close to six Stanley Cup final appearances and maybe winning in three of them and then doing it in a row, which hasn't happened since 1980 to 83. Right. Like, it's absolutely absurd what they've done and like we've talked about the 11 round win or 10 round or 11 round uh round win streak right now I, like, I, I do want to clear something up because yeah. when because we're i know already that inevitably you're going to ask me who you got later on I'm going to, yeah, but uh, I think we're saving that right for the end right no we are I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not giving an answer that's what I'm saying but I want to make clear that I don't have a rooting interest in like, oh, because they've Same. won the last two years, I don't want them to win. Like, I really don't care who wins this series. It's either going to, like, here's the thing you're going to get with this Stanley Cup final. It's either going to be Colorado's time after being a team that everybody thought was going to do it for the last, it's very much Tampa-like. Hey, 
Tampa's so good. How come they haven't won a cup yet? Now they finally have for the last two years. Colorado's almost in the same boat. How come this team with these guys can't get past the second round? It seems right. like it should be, you know. So it's either going to be that or you're going to get the three-peat that hasn't happened in almost 40 years. Right. So. Okay, so I, I got one for you. Before we set up the, the who you got question, because we sure. will talk about that. For each team. Okay. Who gets the first cup pass? Oh, all right. Well, so I, co- let's let's break down our candidates. Uh, Tampa, basically, at this point, you're going with the guys who are new because everyone else kind of had their shot already. You might see Brian Elliott pretty high on that list. You might see uh, you're making. First of all, I, in fairness, I do need to pull up a roster just to kind of look over. Yeah, so, fair enough. Well, let, let's put it this way. For, for starters, Stamkos gets it if it's Tampa. Because, well, like, right. We obviously know. I'm, I'm and, talking uh, about the first cup I, pass because we, we have established captains. No, I know, but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do it for Colorado side because we know Stamkos starts with it for Tampa. Landeskog. Landeskog starts with it for Colorado, who already is one of those, hey, been around a really long time kind of things. Right. So that's an in, like that already has an interesting wrinkle to it because, again, you, you kind of wonder. There, there are some crazy questions in Colorado because you have Eric Johnson. You have Nathan McKinnon. You have... I mean, you're not going to give it to one of the young kids because you figure that they got time at this point. But I mean, I'm trying to as I go over Tampa. So I'm trying to answer the question now. Yeah, because as I go over Tampa, because they just won it last year, there's a lot of guys who came back. Like it's not like as I'm going through, it's not Belmar, Sorelli or Colton or Kalorn or Kucherov or even Maroon. It would be four in a row. I kind of think there could be a wrinkle to that just because everybody knows he's going for four in a row. So he could be. I would throw him into the mix just because, you know, maybe it's so maybe it's Maroon. Um, Riley Nash is new to them, right? Yeah, but he's not a big enough name that he's going to get it first. You don't know, though. I mean, like I when when Chicago won it and it was Tiemannan's first, even though Tiemannan was an all star before. I don't think he was like the biggest name on the team by any stretch, and yet he still. That's different. He got. I guess. He like if you remember that was the year he didn't play, and he had just gotten medically cleared, and he got right. traded before he That's played, true. and he like he got traded with a heart wrenching backstory, like full blown lifetime movie tragic backstory. Okay, Nick Paul is new. That's a little interesting, but I don't. He, he, I but think he Brian Elliott gets it before any of these guys. Do you think it's Elliot, or do you think it's going to be? Because again, I look like looking at the defenseman. By the way, Bogosian got traded there last year, so he was on the team. Yep. Um, Chernak's been there the whole time. Hedman, yep. McDonough, Ruda, Bergachev. They've all Cal Foot's a kid, so it yeah. probably won't be him. Like screw the, him. So again, this is if you're picking a guy who's never won it before, I think it's got to be Brian. I Elliott. think it's Moose. But if you're pick if you're picking a guy who's a veteran. That well, like I said, there's the only two other ones I can go with are you either give it to Maroon first because it's a four in a row and it's already a story, or you give it to Corey Perry. Oh, Corey Perry's a good one. Okay, because okay. Corey, for all I know, Corey Perry could get handed that cup this year after all of this and say, you know what, I'm done. I think there's a real chance he does that, especially because well, and th- considering that his long because Gets laughed at it. Did, That's what I'm saying. I think he gets to hold the ring up, kiss it, and walk into the sunset. Colorado's I agree. Be, so let's go to Colorado. With, in in Corey Perry fashion, by the way, with the middle with the the ring size to fit his middle finger, because obviously, <laughs> that's great. Um, um, Colorado. Right, so it, Nathan McKinnon, Eric Johnson, 
Um, well, okay, so let's Landis Scott gets it first, and I do think that there is an element sure. where handing it straight off to McKinnon makes a lot of sense. A lot of they sense. They are paired get, together. Yeah. Now, if you're going to go with the long-term, like, hey, been around a while, never won it before kind of thing, um, I think you have a case with Eric, – Eric Johnson's a really good one because you do have a case with that. Yep. You have a case with Jack Johnson. You have a case with uh, – so Did Jack Johnson win it with Pittsburgh, though? If it was – I'm not sure. If it was this group's second cup, no, I would say – Okay. If it was this group's second cup, I would say you, you have a shot to go Eric Johnson – or um, uh, Jack Johnson, rather. The fact that it's their first cup, it's going to McKinnon or Johnson first. Like one of the hometown guys. Could be. Um, not Okay. And then not long after then uh, – just give me one second to – Max Chaos. Give it to Kadri. Let him flip oh, Toronto be, fans off. That would be funny. Um and Kadri's been around for a long enough time that he kind that of it's is, not it's not crazy. Kadri's been in the leagues like he made his debut in the twenty in two thousand nine two thousand ten played a game right and then started to become more of a regular like he really wasn't a regular until twenty thirteen but he had been around like the guy's sure. been playing for a long uh, he's time. he's got a resume yeah um, and he and he he managed to behave himself this playoff so maybe that's his reward. Certainly, if you're looking for guys who don't like, because again, I think McKinnon's just such a natural at this point for this. I, I'm but, almost, I'm almost thinking you get a Taves and Kane joint raise for for Landis Cog and McKinnon. Like it really does close, seem yeah. like they, they're that. Um, like if Bergeron I, and Char, like Bergeron and Chara style, like they right. really are do, a dynamic duo. I do want to throw in a couple of other names just because there are some others that are interesting because. Andrew Cogliano has never won a cup and has been around for a little while. He okay. can certainly get it early, at least early. Um, now, a guy who has won a cup but could get it really early as well is Darren Helm because this could be you know Darren one, Helm. Wow. Helm for like think about it, Darren for Darren Helm, it could be close to the end. He's thirty five. Yep. Like Cogliano's in the same boat, by the way. Cogliano's thirty four. Remember when Claude Giroux gonna... picked to go to the Florida Panthers for some reason? <laughs> He could be I'm, here. I'm not we going he, here. we could be talking about him getting the chemo teaming raise. Like we could talk here. about the him getting the get over here chemo. Come get it. <laughs> like I come on. You. I hear you. And by the way, if you tell me that you can watch that clip without tearing up a little bit, then you don't have a soul. No, because in the because in the moment when it happened, oh, it was I was just grinning from ear to ear. Watch, I was just grinning from ear to ear. Oh, watch. I was just, sobbing because. Because what was better than come on over here and get it was the he went to go and hand it off and they turned around and grabbed him and they went no come on chemo go for a skate absolutely but John Jonathan Taves just turned around screaming at the top of his lungs right away ah uh, fantastic but that's, anyway I would say those are the yeah I really I agree. think you're right like I think that maybe it just is so simple that if Colorado wins this thing you start with Landeskog who's going to have a good moment with him with it very very like Stamkos did absolutely. a couple years ago. Because Stamkos, I think Stamkos and Landeskog are in very similar positions where, like, it's been a while. You're finally in this spot. Like, that, and for what it's worth. No and I think McKinnon's going to have a while with it, too. Well, and for what it's worth, no matter who wins, those two are going to probably have a nice little moment when handshakes happen. Absolutely. Because Landeskog and Stamkos, both Nothing knowing each other, you know, both knowing how long each other has been there, like, in the league, I, you know. I expect this series to get feisty. I expect this series to get physical, but I expect this te these teams to come out of this respecting each other because I expect sure. really high end hockey. And for what it's worth, too, it's just as I'm, again, I'm scrolling this list for Colorado. There's a lot of guys who are going like if Colorado wins, that are going to get the cup. 
that feel like they've been around for a really long time but aren't really that old right. i want to say like they're like like the first name that stood out to me in that respect is jt comfer like yeah it feels like comfer's been in the league forever but 2017 um no let's see uh comfer was was 16 17 yes there you okay. go close enough still you're at you're at six years realistically like it feels like he's been around for a lot longer than that and okay and this is another reason why he was drafted in 2013 so he t- took him a while to get here kind of thing like hey, hey kevin yeah who you got ah uh, here it is well i feel like i need to pull the curtain back as i make this thing because, sure because i deduct in my head you know where it's going to go as the whole thing progresses you put together the list of like based on like so when we did first round picks all of those first round picks i started to move to the next round and keep narrowing it down so if you really sure. want to know my original on the i'll start with this cuz if you want to know my original on the east side florida was the team i had going to the cup final me too and in fairness i had, I had them playing calgary too i my bracket was bad so but in <laughs> fairness like I believe that would have meant that I had Florida playing. Jeez, who? Uh, eventually, Tampa. well, Tampa in the second round, but I think if I, I I narrowed it down where I think it would have been Florida, Carolina in the conference final. So I think I because I always had Carolina and the Rangers. I think okay. I picked picked wrong there, then picked wrong again with you know <laughs> who was on the other side. So I was really wrong. I stopped being wrong when it was both of the wrong teams from the second round and picked Tampa Bay because I'm like, I'm done with this thing. I had Tampa. Right. Oh, no, no, no. Hang on a second. I'm sorry. I had Florida beating Toronto in the second round. Gotcha. Okay. Which is why I made it a little easier because I had Tampa getting knocked out in the first round, which was a stupid mistake. And they, on my they almost did, man. That, well, they were vulnerable, yes. The, the Leafs have given them their biggest test so far. Right. So, anyway. I kind of stopped fooling around when it got to the th- conference final. I went, no, no, no. And dead on, hit it on the nose, Tampa in six, even though Tampa lost the first two games. Which, by the way, uh, what was that, 18 games in a row after a loss that they had won? Yeah, something ridiculous. It was a ridiculous streak that just came to an end. The Rangers yet, just ended it by winning the first two games of the Eastern Conference Finals. Which was the high point for them of the series, because after yep. that, they did not win again. Um, <laughs> on the West side, I definitely made a mistake going like one of the okay so i did not have st louis winning in the first round i had minnesota that was a mistake but i had colorado winning in the second round and getting to the conference final so the interesting part is is that i had colorado beating minnesota in the second round and st louis has so far been the team that has given them the biggest run for their money absolutely you are five seconds away from overtime in game six and that could open up a whole new thing to begin with Yep. I had the I, I had the Calgary Edmonton series or no I didn't I'm sorry I had Calgary in LA so I didn't have Edmonton getting there therefore I had Calgary getting to the conference final against Colorado and I did have Colorado going to the cup final okay so so are you sticking with that so I original hold on because I originally had Colorado Florida in the cup final right you still don't know who my original winner was yet though right. I, I'm sure it was probably Florida <laughs> uh no it was Colorado uh, actually. oh was it okay yeah well, are you sticking so, with that? Yes, I, I am. I do, uh, for the record, Damn. this is not going to be a short series. No. Envision this. I, you know what? I was talking about this the other day. See, and but, Here's the, the Rangers, thing. I could see it being, I'm sorry, I could see it being five, like three to two games, though. That's the thing. Yeah, I understand <sighs> where you're coming from with that, for sure. And, um, like, it doesn't mean, it's not going to be a blowout series in any way, shape, or form, but it might be a short 
series. Well, Charlie O'Connor tweeted the other day, like, this is the perfect matchup, should be a really great series. Now, knowing that, it'll be a 4 nothing sweep. Right. Tampa wins every game 6 right. nothing. Somebody sweeps. Well, it doesn't matter. It could be either side, but somebody sweeps yep. it just because, right? Um, no, I really do feel like it's going to be a long series. You know, if the Rangers would have won in the conference final and advanced, given the way that I was, like, if they would have found a way to somehow beat Tampa, but the way <sighs> that they were going to have to do it down the stretch. Yep. I probably would have said, you know what? The fact that Colorado's just sitting over here waiting, give me Colorado in five, and it's not, you know, this might not be a particularly close series because the Rangers don't defend as well as Tampa does. Right. So you take the high octane offensive team and put them against the Rangers, and even though Shesterkin's a great goalie, I don't know that they survive that just because it's going to, you know, the only reason they have a shot at surviving is because Tampa could do the same thing to them. And if they would have won that series somehow, you're going, well, if they got through Tampa, you know, if they just follow the process to through the cup final, they might find a way to surprise everybody. And, you know, so be it. But I don't envision that with these two teams because Tampa knows how to win. They know how to close out. They know exactly what they are doing. I just don't know that uh, there's two things I don't know of. Number one is, is that or not don't know, but there's two things I think change the game here. One is that the Rangers after game two, I believe, only had one Five on five goal for the rest of the series. Right. I don't think Colorado is going to have that kind of problem at five on five because they <sighs> really, because unlike the Rangers, who I think weren't really going to get a lot of the five on five stuff I agree. From, from anybody other than Zabanajad and Kreider and that kind of stuff. And they were always more equipped to do stuff on the power play too because we knew that. I think Colorado can score goals with Alex Newhook, Logan O'Connor, and Darren Helm on the ice the same way they can score with McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog on the ice. That's fair. Um, I don't want to, like, there's a good chance, that, and there's a good chance for both teams that somebody big is missing. You, are, you already alluded to Braden Point. Right. We kind of are left with the same thing on Nazem Kadri. So, and I was actually going to say that's a great transition because uh, my pick, and I, I don't have a problem saying this, I will give a definitive answer here, but my analytical answer is I think the winner is going to depend on who plays more games, Nazem Kadri or Braden Point. That's a fair I think, fair I think the series is so close that whoever gets more out of those guys, it's going to be enough to make a difference. Okay, that's fair. And, and, if Point comes back and looks pretty good and Kadri comes back and looks pretty good, I think it's going to be super-duper close. And if one of them stays out and doesn't get back, I think that'll be enough to swing the momentum. Um, I don't want to tell you that you're completely off base with that because I think it's valid. Right. The only thing that's making me defend this or change this a little bit is I've been saying that about Tampa for two two rounds now without Braden Point thinking – Listen, at some point in time, this might do them in. And, and certainly I got fooled into it a little bit with the way the Rangers started the series because you're going, uh-oh, are they going to have to br- drag Braden Point out here with whatever's going on just to try to find a way in this series? And they so, didn't have to. Right. So I, I – okay. I, I know you don't particularly follow MMA, but I'm going to deviate for just a second here. <laughs> here we go. Last night, Valentina Shevchenko defended her flyweight title and <laughs> – she lost the first two rounds. I know okay. one judge gave her the first. That was a bad call. She lost the first two rounds. Taylor Santos beat her. And in a five-round fight, you saw Valentina Shevchenko go, okay, we're down two rounds. We can't afford to lose anymore. It's time to get on the gas. And and she okay. looked a little 
she looked a little bit Rocky three, a little okay. bit complacent, a little bit. She knows, you know, she's been the champion for a while. She looks a little complacent. Taylor Santos beat her in the first two rounds, and you saw her go, oh, we got we to gotta turn up. It's a real day at the office. Right. And you saw the Tampa Bay Lightning do the same thing. They, they were a little bit rusty because they had a little time off after just absolutely dusting the Florida Panthers. Right. And you saw them be a little rusty, and the Rangers took advantage of that. And mm-hmm. as they worked out that rust and as they got a little motivated because they got beat up a little bit, they went, all right. The two-time defending champs are back. Right. And they took over the rest of that series. And I really think that was where they kicked the playoff run into high gear. Like, I know they torched Florida. Florida didn't look particularly good. Mm-hmm. They didn't look particularly good in the Tam- in the Toronto series. They struggled along with Toronto probably a lot more than they should have. Mm-hmm. I-, I think the beast is awake. So, I'm, uh, so let me dive in there because that's yeah. a great place for me to jump in with something I want to say about this because I think both teams realize the benefit that they have of playing with control, if you will. Tampa with Braden Point was able to do what they did, especially in the third in this conference final because of the fact that, okay, when you're down 2 nothing, yes, you're down, but you're not out at that point, and you do need to win a couple games. But once they tied the series up and you've won the last two games without him, do you need to go that well in the in game five? No, not necessarily. And when you win game five and you're up three to two and you're in control, like that was the thing for me for the whole Florida series. They won game one. They damn near stole game two because right. game two it was a miracle at the end of the you know last second type stuff. Crazy. But when you're up two zero, why go to that situation? Why even bother to attempt to bring him back until you need to? Right. Yep. Correct. When it's 3-0 and then you're in a closeout position. Now you're coasting. But you don't even need to think about that. Like, of course you're going to let him sit out and heal up and keep going. And then he's still not ready for the next round. And you lose the first two games. But again, and once you get back in that position, like, if it would have gone seven, would he have played? That, that's debatable. It could have happened. We'll I think see. John Cooper's come out and said that he wasn't going to play no matter what. Well, yeah, easy to say now, though. Right. Yeah, well, sure, I, sure. I think that at the time of Game Six, he wasn't ruling things out. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah, he's he's been very careful to not rule stuff out as the games go on. But I think that it's easy to say now. Oh yeah, he wasn't going to play them. He probably won't play in Game One. You know why he's not going to play in Game One of the Stanley Cup Final? Because they don't need to go nope. there yet. Because the so when you're in control like that again, so when they go up three two and you have that Game Six, I don't want to speak for what would happen in Game Seven if it came to it. But in Game Six, you don't feel the need to do that. Right. When Darcy Kemper was out of the lineup for Colorado, and I believe um, he, because he had missed, at one point in time, he missed with the eye injury first. But again, when you're playing, like, I believe it was at the end of the Nashville series. So when you're already up in the series looking at a sweep, is there any reason to be pressured into, hey, we really shouldn't play, you know, back up here? Like, of course you're going to do it. And he did back back up Pavel Frankuz in Game Four of the, the of the the Western Conference Final. Like he right. he's he's back. He's good to go. Right, but it but it comes again. It comes down to that. If you don't have to force the issue, why bother? Exactly. Like, and we, I think there's a real case that for the first time in several years, 
we have the two best teams in the league in the Stanley Cup final. So I'll tell you what I tweeted the other night because it falls in line with that. I Because I even put the Stanley Cup final will be what it should be. The back-to-back defending champs have the target on their back. The best team in the West gets their chance to dethrone them. It should be a great series. It's gonna and that's be exactly incredible. what it is. Yep. And, you know... Like, I, I don't think that there's anything more to be said about that situation. Like, we, you know, it, it just, it's one of those series that you're going to get the two best teams in the league. You know, I, I you're not getting the two best teams in the league by virtue of regular season standings. You're just, you know. Right. Tampa, Tampa takes their foot off the gas pedal in the regular season. We know this. And look, I was fully prepared for the switch flip at some point. You know, it just, totally. it, it's, it's one of those things. I don't think they, uh, let's be real. Have they done this smoothly? Not really. I mean, even the Florida series had moments where, like, the Panthers threw everything they had at them, and Vasilevsky being Vasilevsky is the reason why you win, right? And Toronto had them on the ropes, and the Rangers had them on the ropes. So there's, it's fully possible that Colorado could do the same. Tampa in seven. Okay. That is totally fair. Um, I find it interesting that you're saying Tampa in seven because of the fact that that would mean they're going to win this cup in Colorado. on the road. We yep. will see. Um, I'll t- I will tell you one thing. Man, I, d- I never because I don't want to say it as a statement because I this is more I guess I really do not know where game one is going to go because I have full I have full visions of Colorado being on the end of the game that they handed to Vegas a few years back where it's like listen this could be lopsided because one team pl- was playing on you know Saturday night and the other one was sitting there since you know Tuesday. Right. You know it like, could be. Yeah. Or actually, it was earlier than that. It was since Monday, I believe. But either way, Something you know like what I that. mean. Yeah. It's, like, it, it, well, it's the age-old question: rest versus rust. Right. I and do we'll think. I do think Colorado comes in with more health. Right, and I think going into the Stanley Cup Finals, I think you'd rather have the rest. I think in in the first two rounds, I think you'd rather be the team playing the six or seven game series going up against the team right. that just swept now, and is rested. Now, by the way, I do want to mention because I forgot that Cogliano is also injured. Right. And if anybody saw him at the end of the uh, at the end of game four, which is where the injury happened, he was he wasn't even shaking hands with his right hand because it was just dangling. You know, like there was nothing left to it. He was done for. And we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, I still think that I think there's elements like Tampa's going to eventually you just got to expect there are guys who are weary because of the amount that they've played in the last three years. And Colorado hasn't, and Colorado's got some youth on their hands that I think helps them. Like, I think there's so, a different. Oh, are you saying what I think you're saying? I already said Colorado's going to win the series. Okay. I just don't. Give me a number. <laughs> you know what? I've always felt that it was, you know, it's going to be a long series. I think this is a seven. I was going to say, because I... if you say six, that means you're saying they're winning it in Tampa. And... No, you know what? I'll say seven. Okay. I can I can see it being six because I don't think like there's an element to me for Colorado that playing on the road does not matter. And I think the biggest reason to say that is because of the way the St. Louis series ended. That looked like it was a disaster ready to happen in the sense that, hey, listen, it's a tie game going to overtime. Okay, buckle up because if St. Louis wins, it's another trip back to Colorado for game seven. Fair enough. And they flat out took it right beforehand. And stunned a building that was you know that we have to also acknowledge the building prior that celebrated the stanley cup before like they did not in the yep. building the night they won but like 
it's a building where they have expectations for that team because they did win in the not so distant future. I mean, it feels like the distant future given everything that ha- has happened since then. Tampa, <laughs> Bay, Tampa Bay's won two Stanley Cups in a you know COVID world, but Oof. you know, but still, like you got to acknowledge that they do know how to break hearts on the road. So I don't want to put it past them if they go up three to two, but I I think game one's going to be a really big tell all because. If Tampa finds a way to win on the road, then I think all the home ice stuff just goes out the window and it doesn't matter. And, you know, and, and then if, if Tampa wins, even if it's not game one, if Tampa wins a road game, Colorado needs to win a road game just to put that whole thing to bed. I agree. Because if you go down 3-1, we're in trouble here. Yeah. Well, you don't, you don't want to be the team that knowingly, like, for it's not even close to the same scenario, but it becomes very 74 flyers where you're up 3-1 based on your home games. You right. go on the road in game five, and you you know if you're Tampa and you're up three one, and maybe you lose that one because there's not a whole lot of pressure on that game. Because it, well, because it's backs against the wall, and you know you right. know what the situation is. But when if if you do lose that game five, I just all you know, the pressures on game six. You're not, but I feel like you're not coming home saying, you know what would be great? Let's go make another trip to Colorado no. after this, like when it's Tampa. Nope. Like there is an element to it where like it puts all the pressure on that game six. It does, but like there's an element of it to me where the travel in, is important because. And we are talking big, Colorado to Tampa. Like that's a well, pretty there, significant there's a, flight. There's a big difference between playing your one playoff series with you know oh it's Tampa Florida oh right. wow you know it's only a trip across state right. it's it's an hour and a half on the bus right practically you know uh, as opposed to as opposed to the idea of like legit cross country travel where you're talking Colorado is all the way over here and you got to come back to Tampa like. Eventually, it's going to get tired for somebody, and the idea is going to be, let's just put an end to this thing, and somebody's going to do it. That's why, you know All what? Right. And that's kind of why I'm leaning with the home ice thing, because like the home ice finale says, put an end to this thing. We shouldn't want to have to do this. All right. Speaking of putting an end to things, that's a good time for us to put an end to this podcast. Uh, we will be back. Uh, we haven't really decided yet if we're going to be back in two weeks or if we're going to be back in just over two weeks. If it depends on the Stanley Cup final, we uh, we haven't really talked about that yet. But we will be back at some point in roughly two weeks to fi- talk about you know the playoffs, talk about everything, you know, kind of do our our normal show we do every two weeks over the summer. In case you're new here. Uh, you can find our shows everywhere. You find your podcast, Facebook, Instagram, Podbean, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SportstalkPhilly.com. Check out our YouTube channel. Subscribe over there. Follow Sports Talk Philly at Sports Talk PHL. Follow Kevin at Kevin underscore Durso. Follow the podcast at YWT Podcast. Kevin, Stanley Cup Finals, two best yeah. teams in the league. Are you excited? Uh, I'm ver- yes, I'm very excited for the series. What I'm kind of disappointed about is the fact that you know, we had this tonight, obviously, on our usual sun like Sunday record date that we do, and there's been nothing on this evening. Not even like, not even to turn on like, hey, like the, even the NBA Finals was off tonight, so it's like I feel like there's no primetime event tonight. And then the gap from now until Wednesday night, like, it's gonna be a long couple days. To It'll be to worth it. It'll I know. be worth it. Well, and I, and I don't love. I'll be honest. I don't love the Wednesday to Saturday gap either. I don't either. But I get it to put it on to put it on a weekend. No, spot, but there was a so. there was a difference between like if the if that would have gone to a Tuesday game seven, and we probably wouldn't have been doing a show if that was the case. But right, um, like they would have started on Saturday and just rolled every other day right through to the end. And now instead they're incorporating There's some weird this gaps. Gap for whatever reason, but. It's well, beside the point. It is what it is. I'll accept it for what it is. And once we get to Saturday, we're smooth. You know, it's smooth sailing every other day. 
for every other day we're going to get high quality hockey until we have a Stanley Cup champion. So and until I and I don't think it's going to be much longer after that that we're going to have some real like obviously we're going to have some real flyers news to talk after that because the coaching thing is going to pick up once this once the cup finals over for sure if if it doesn't in the next two days then it will after the finals over and then what are you going to have after that's over a week until right. I, I mean well maybe it depends on how long it goes but if it goes seven like we kind of are leaning towards you have about a week until the draft and then two weeks until free agency opens yep we are off and rolling we are full-blown in our summer schedule and uh We'll be back in a couple of weeks. So until then, I'll see you.